Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Am I still on? Today, Susan Park is my guest. We're going to talk about the elderly, the vulnerable in long-term care facilities. She's got some first-hand, ex- first-hand experience. But her sister's in one of these homes, and it ain't pretty. Share it if you like it. If you hate it, tell us below why. We love the. We encourage all free speech. I'm a free speech absolutist. So welcome to Paracos. It's morning for me almost still because, like, I had a rough night, man. Periscope, welcome. Fake book, beat it. DLive, YouTube, and Twitch, we're all live on the platforms now, and I want to say hello to my guest, Susan. Hi, Jim. Thank Hi, you Jim. for Thank taking you the for time. Me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for taking the time and uh, for seeking it out. I mean, you must be frustrated. You must be looking for places that you can tell your story. So uh, before we get into the logistics of your sister in the LTC, uh, maybe you could just spend some time telling people, you know, who you are, maybe a little bit about your background, why we should be interested in listening to you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, tell us a little bit about you and and maybe your background and and a little bit about your sister, your family life, maybe if that's uh, appropriate and uh, how we got to the place that we are now and then we'll get into exactly the treatment of your sister in a long-term care facility. Okay, I'd love to. uh, Hello everybody and again, thank you for having me. Uh, My sister and I grew up in a single parent home and we were very close as children. There was only her and I and we were best friends and she loved to laugh. she loved music. Uh, she drove a car. She graduated from Mohawk University with a computer-aided drafting. We were together all the time. We were either talking on the phone or visiting each other. But I did notice over the years, um, sometimes she would just stop talking to me and the family. And about six months would go by and then she would knock on the door and come in like nothing happened. And if I questioned her, she'd get a little upset. So I noticed, I started noticing she was having some highs and some lows. And at that time, I didn't really realize she was having um, bipolar. Over the years, it got increasingly worse uh, that she started hearing voices. Um, She was completely living with hallucinations, um, talking to the wall, talking to other people. It was very disturbing. 
So I tried on several occasions to get her to go to a doctor and she started closing off her family. She didn't want to talk to me or my children. Um, I had to resort to going to the courthouse and forming her a form one, which means uh, the police pick her up and forcibly take her to the hospital. And I hated to do that, but I, I thought she was such at risk. She wasn't taking care of herself. Uh, she wasn't eating properly. She just looked awful. So they did pick her up and take her to the hospital. She attacked the policeman. And so they kept her there for five days. And at that time, um, she wouldn't give permission for me to speak to the doctor. So I didn't quite understand if she's not in her right mind and capable of making decisions, how is she able to make that decision? So consequently, they let her out. So a few more years goes by. Uh, sometimes I'd see her at my mother's and she'd just be sitting in the chair, staring at the walls and talking to people that weren't there. And it was very disturbing and I just felt very helpless. If I knocked on her door, she wouldn't answer the door. So a few years later, I had her form one again because um, she wasn't able to pay her rent. Um, she was causing problems in her apartment building. She wallpapered the doors and the fixtures in the halls. Uh, the superintendent told me she was screaming in the middle of the night and uh, making accusations that people were in her, in her apartment and that her walls were bleeding. It was really sad. It was very difficult for myself. So I had her formed again. And once again, the same thing, they kept her in there. She refused medication and they let her out. And uh, I did find out there is a form 33 that doctors can fill out and they can forcibly give her medication, but nobody at the time seemed interested in doing that. So fast forward a few more years and I get a phone call because I always left my name with the superintendent in case there was emergency to call me. And they phoned me and said, my sister had been evicted. And through no fault of her own, what had happened is the uh, owner of the building changed hands and new owners took over and she was on disability at the time. So the mailman seeing a different name there, he put the rent check, which was supposed to go directly to the uh, owners of the building um, because she would just get what's left over because she wasn't capable of paying her bills. So the rent check went in her mailbox and she found it and cashed it not knowing that she was cashing her rent check because she didn't really quite understand anything at that time. So three or four months went by, the sheriff came in uh, with the police and from what I understand, they just threw her out, in the, not threw her, but they put her out in the hallway. Uh, she was allowed to grab a backpack. And when I came over there, she was sitting in the hallway. So I said, Andrea, can I help you here? Um, who's your worker? And I'll try and call and see if we can get this straightened out. And she just told me to get lost and that her lawyers were working on it because she lived in a delusionary world at the time. So I went downstairs and I asked the office what happened and they explained what happened to me. So I got on the phone with Jenny Stevens' office and I asked them if they could help me and she tried so hard. She called the owner of the building who lived in Toronto. She called the superintendent, she called everywhere. I called the mayor, I called everybody I could think of, even a friend of mine gave me a check for $3,000 to pay her back rent, but they would not accept it. So this started six weeks of my sister being homeless. And let me tell you how heartbreaking that was. We were looking for her. Um, people in the building reassured me that they would feed her. So she was sleeping in the laundry room. She was sleeping outside under the picnic table. Um, she was wandering around. Uh, she liked to walk a lot. And I ran into her at the Penn Center 
and I asked her if she wanted a cup of tea and we sat down, my husband and I, and um, she was saying, did you get the check from Star Wars? Cause I wrote Star Wars. And I said, yeah, I did. I just kind of went along with her. So after a while, my husband said, Andrea, we'd like to help you. Would you get in the car and we'll try and find you a place to live and get this straightened out. And she just immediately got very angry and it's not her fault. She has schizophrenia. So the worst thing was walking away, leaving her there at the Penn Center. It was horrible. So I got a call from one of the residents in her building where she was thrown out and they said she was starting to look very ill. So I thought I'll try one more time and I'll go inform her. So I went back to the courthouse. I'm not even including other times I went back to the courthouse and they wouldn't go pick her up. The judge refused me. So, I mean, I tried so many times to get her help. Anyway, I went in again and the judge said, you know, she can go in the front door and out the back. I said, I have to. I really feel like she's going to die if we don't do something. So uh, now we have to go find her because she's homeless. And so my husband said she can't go too far and she likes to go to the mall. So I found her at the Fairview Mall, called the police, stayed on the phone with them. They brought in a mental health worker and they picked her up and they took her to the hospital and we were out in the parking lot and I see her in the back seat and it just it just breaks your heart anyway thank God I'm so thankful to God that we got a really good doctor um, psychiatrist she phoned me at one in the morning she said your sister's psychotic and I thought oh good we got somebody on our side and she said I really believe she's very ill we're going to be running some tests and so she got put into a ward the doctor did the form 33 and he was going to force the medication on her and you have to go through a legal thing for about a week before they can force the medication on her in the meantime they discovered she had no iron in her body at all and if she did not take a transfusion of iron she would be dead in a few days so they tried to get her hooked up to an iv and she refused it and i tried to talk to her and she thought they were taking blood from somebody else and putting it in her body and taking all it like she didn't understand and the doctor tried everything he could do. And he said, I have to wait for the medication to kick in um, and hope she will agree to it. And just in the nick of time, it did. Uh, she agreed to it. I felt like I got my sister back again. She hugged me. She was so happy to see me. She loved me again. Um, she, she wanted to see the kids. She was in the hospital. She took the intravenous and she got better. So then uh, they did an examination and found out she had breast cancer and colon cancer. So she endured two surgeries, uh, radiation, and she was in the uh, mental ward at the time. She was in the hospital for quite a long time. It was stage two. So now where do we go from here? Because she's homeless. And I had to have meetings with the psychiatrist and I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. There's a lot of bad stuff that happened, but I'm gonna leave that out. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, they wanted to put her in a group home where there was bed bugs and mice. And I investigated that and I said, no way, are you putting her in there? And I said, I want her in long-term care because there was no other place. She does not, even though I have my sister back, she's not like how she was 30 years ago. She knows me and she loves me. I can talk to her but she's still not quite the same person. So she doesn't still understand what's going on, but I do have her back. And um, the only place that we could put her was long-term care because she doesn't understand she has schizophrenia and she can't take care of herself. She can't cook, she can't pay bills and we can't have her on her own. And if she went to a group home or something like that, she'd just walk out the door and she wouldn't go get her needle. 
So it was very, very difficult, but we finally got her into long-term care and we were very grateful for that. And she thinks she's in the hospital because of her cancer, uh, which is good. And she has a roommate. So she goes into the long-term care at Extended Care in St. Catharines in around February and March COVID breaks out. And they were okay in there up until December, 2020. And they got their first positive. And anytime you get a first positive, one positive in the home, all the residents are confined to their room for two weeks with no shower, no walking. So she has a small room, which she shares with another woman who's bedridden. She has two feet to walk to her bathroom and that's it. So um, at the time I was hoping it would end after two weeks. Well, it didn't. Uh, there end up being more positives and more positives. And they, uh, unfortunately, uh, 42 people ended up passing away in that home. And that is really sad. The whole place got it, including my sister, but I believe she only had a cold. She had a runny nose and a sore throat and she got over it. So I'm grateful for that. But the problem was after two, three weeks, I'm thinking, I phoned them up. Why can she not have a shower? And they said, because the health department said, no shower. Well, that doesn't make any sense when they're touting, wash your hands, put the sanitizer on. And yet they would not allow these elderly people to have a bath or a shower. Does that make any sense to you? I mean, we think about lice, scabies, infections, atrophy of the muscles, which I was very concerned about because she's mobile. She can walk and take her shower and dress herself. Well, think about somebody who's bedridden, bed sores also, infections, think about the psychological effects of this, staring at the wall, not being able to leave your bed. Uh, the ones that are bedridden and go in the wheelchair, they're not putting them in the wheelchair and taking them out in the hallway so they at least see something different. They're not going to the dining room, nothing. So I called the DOC, I called the administrator, I called the manager and I asked them all the same questions. Why are they not allowed a shower and at least a walk out of their room or take them out for a bit? Well, the one answer I got was because we have to disinfect the showers. So I'm like, don't you do that already? That's pretty scary if you weren't doing that before. Uh, the second answer I got was COVID's in the air. Well, does it stop at the doorway of her room and it just doesn't go in? Well, that's not true either because the whole place got it, including her. Mm -hmm. So January 8, I had a video call with her and it was the most heart-wrenching, heartbreaking call I've ever had with my sister. Her hair so dirty, it stuck to her head. And Jeez. she's telling me my muscles hurt, my legs hurt, and I wanna have a shower. And she doesn't understand why she's not allowed to have a shower. And all I could do is try and encourage her, Andrew, I'm working on it, I'm trying to help you. Hope you're okay, are you reading any books? Try and do some exercises and I try and you know tell her do some squats. But if you're not there cueing her, she's not going to do anything. Right. And how does that affect you psychologically when you're just laying in that bed day after day after day after day, staring at the walls? And then think of the elderly people, somebody in their 80s who's maybe a little wobbly on their feet. Now they're totally bedridden also. And I talked to the administrator and I talked to a physiotherapist and I said, they may never walk again. And they said, yes, that's true. So can you imagine somebody that was walking before now will be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of their life? How much damage do they need to do to these people? 
So I contacted uh, a local MPP's office, Jeff Birch, and they contacted the standard, uh, St. Catherine Standard. They did an article, Stop the Senicide, uh, also with Maureen McDermott. And they contacted CKTB Radio and they did an article on my sister, as well as a letter uh, that I have right here that they sent to Doug Ford. Okay. And uh, in it, they said, uh, quoting me, I am extremely concerned for my sister, Andrea Barcher, who has a mental illness and resides at extended care in St. Catharines. For the past four to five weeks, she and other residents have been confined to their rooms. She is not allowed to shower or take a walk. Every day I get emails, there's more positive cases and deaths. This situation is intolerable. And they, they sent this off, uh, it's a long letter, to Doug Ford with copies to the administrator of the home and um, Dr. Haraji, and they got no response for a long time. They just said, uh, wow. refer that to their minister of long-term care. There was no response. So in the meantime, as I said, I'm calling these people and I'm like, how do you put your head in a pillow and sleep at night and work there? The smell must be horrible. How do you walk by these elderly people? They can't see their family. There's COVID going around. Many of them got sick. Many of them survived it. Many of them passed away. How do you walk by and work in this environment? Well, the health department says, well, isn't that what the German soldiers said in 1940 on following orders, right? I said, can't you call your MP, call the media? Can't you uh, call Doug Ford? Can you not collectively get together and do something? How do you work in there and walk by these people? Did you not have a heart, right? Even prisoners get treated better than that. They're allowed to shower in outdoor activities. Why and what do they do to punish prisoners? They put them in isolation. Solitary. They're putting these people in isolation for what? What did they do wrong? So the whole place got COVID anyway. You cannot, you you deny them the dignity of having a bath or a shower. You deny them family. You divide you 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 deny them the basics of life. You deny them going out of their room, like being in a nursing home is no picnic at the best of times. And you do this to people, no wonder why a lot of them passed away. I bet they just gave up and said, what's the point of going on? Cause I would, right? So um, after uh, it went on CKTB and the St. Catherine Standard, I did an online protest with Marie McDermott and guess what happened? A little more than a week later, they were allowed a shower. And then uh, it was another 20 days after that, my sister was allowed out of her room and they called me, a they sent in a physiotherapist. Uh, I'm sure they were concerned of atrophy of the muscles like I was. So they had a physiotherapist coming in and doing a few exercises and uh, assessing everybody, but it's just uh, either very coincidental that after the media attention, all of a sudden they were allowed to have a shower and a few weeks later have a walk and have some physiotherapy come in. So needless to say, this was gut-wrenching for myself and my family. And I'm not only doing this for my sister, I'm doing it for all seniors. And anybody you talk to, if I ask anybody, okay, you know there's a COVID breakout there, do you assume they're getting a shower? Uh, do you assume they're being maybe let out of the room for short periods of time? Don't assume it because they are not. And this is going across Canada, not just here in St. Catharines. 
anytime there's a COVID outbreak and there's a positive, whether it's a false positive or not, or one of the staffs tests positive and they're not sick and they get sent home for two weeks, my sister and everybody else is confined to their room for two weeks. Now, also, if you remember, I told you she had cancer. The cancer doctor wanted her to follow up with a CT scan. And so here's what they told me. If you take your sister out and take her to the hospital for a CT scan, then she will go in complete isolation. There'll be no TV, no phone. The door will be closed. She's staring at the walls for two weeks. What a position to put me in. What if her cancer has spread, right? But how could I do that to her mentally? She's already had such a difficult life. And when she went in there, I was hoping and praying for the best. At least she was safe. She had meals. Um, she had a bed to sleep in. She had her medication. And, and this happens. Like I felt horrible that she was in there and I had no other alternative. So here now I have to make a choice. Has her cancer spread? Or do I, she have some more mental abuse and be locked up for two weeks? I couldn't do it to her. So I hoped and I prayed that the cancer hadn't spread. And I thought, well, wait a few more months till they uh, allow the lockdowns or the outbreaks are over. And that's exactly what happened. About two, three months later, she had her CAT scan. And fortunately, she was okay. But that was such a difficult decision. I don't even understand why they would do something like that to her. So now fast forward to April 23. Uh, and I want to tell you something also. I haven't seen my sister. Uh, I was allowed to take her out for the day. We'd go out, do shopping, go for a walk. She'd have dinner at my place, spend the day together, birthdays or Christmas, whatever, occasions with the family before Christmas. Now, uh, this last time I've been allowed to take her out for medical appointments. So she had, dentist, she had a dentist appointment and a mammogram and I have to bring her right back. I find this intolerable also um, that I cannot bring her out of the, the home to see her because I miss her so much. So anyway, uh, getting back to April 23, there was a positive again. So here we go again. This time she went 22 days with no shower, no walking. Again, I get on the video calls with her. She said, my muscles are hurting. My legs hurt. I want to shower. And I can't explain to her any good reason why she's not being allowed these basic necessities of life. So again, I called the uh, NDP Jeff Birch's office and they've been fantastic. They've always emailed me back. Uh, in fact, Jeff Birch did an investigation and spoke to the employees in there. And one of them was crying on the phone at the conditions. Uh, they did send letters to Doug Ford. They sent more than the one I showed you. So they sent a letter of inquiry this time. And there was a response that I wasn't happy with because they showed me the response from the administrator. And she said, I spoke to Susan on the phone and I told her Andrew's getting two bed baths a day. That is totally incorrect. Um, I haven't spoken to her since back in the winter. And I asked my sister, I said, when you were locked up the first time, did you have a bed bath? And she said, why would I have a bed bath? I'm not bedridden, right? So she has a small sink in there, but it's so small, she can't even put her head underneath there to wash her hair. So the first time they were locked up and 50 days, no shower, I dropped off 
one of those cartons that you put the milk bags in. And I thought maybe she could use that to pour over her head. They would not give it to her, they refused it. So here we are again, 22 days, and um, I wasn't happy with the response I got from the home. Uh, it is the health department that is doing this under whose orders, Doug Ford, um, how, how far does it go? I don't know, but I cannot understand for the life of me, we live in 2021. How in the world can we treat our seniors so disrespectfully? I call it crimes against humanity. They are now out of the outbreak. On Friday, I got word, uh, in fact, they told me specifically, because I think they know who I am over there, uh, your sister's out at the gazebo. I said, great news. That's great. Can she have a shower? And I found out, yeah, okay. So I'm happy. But the thing that I'm concerned about, when is it going to happen again? The next time they get a positive, false positive, and then they test the whole home and it goes on and on and on. This has to stop. And the people that are responsible for treating these seniors so undignified need to be held accountable. I just cannot believe in 2021 and 2020 that these people are getting treated like that. Mm. And I'm here for all of them, not just my sister. I'm speaking up for all of them. Well, thank you for that. And I can hear the emotion in your voice. It's going to be incredibly difficult to even, you know, retell the story. So thank you for that. And I want your, I mean, you're an outsider. You're not an expert in any governmental agency like the long-term care facilities, but I'm interested in what you have decided through your experience that where the breakdown in directive lies. We know, I don't, most people don't know, these are for profit businesses, right? So the bottom line is make money. I, I don't know if they're nonprofits or, or what, but this is for, or sorry, uh, how they're run specifically, but they are for profit yes. that are funded in part by the province, in part by the feds yes. uh, as a result of transfer payments and stuff like that. So there's mm-hmm. several levels of responsibility. One is the facility itself, obviously. Yes. Two yes. is the provincial government. And then, you know, ultimately the federal government has to be responsible in some measure because this is Absolutely. happening across the country. So yes. I'm interested in your experience as to what you think, where's the breakdown? What is the problem here? Is it just simply, well, we don't have the staff because we don't have the money because we have to run in uh, the black instead of the red, we need to make money. Like, what do you think where do you think the, the 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 first major breakdown is here? Like, what's wrong in your eyes? I um, had my mother in a nursing home prior to this, and I saw the breakdowns there. I had to be there every day, and you can see there's not enough staff, and these staff are overrun. And I'm not I'm not blaming the staff themselves. Uh, certainly, the owners of these homes could put pressure on Doug Ford and say, "We can't treat these people so disrespectfully." We cannot deny them a shower or bath. We cannot deny them a walk. Like I feel it's in their hands to advocate for these seniors in the home because these orders come from the health department. And so what I can understand, I mean, you've got nurses and PSWs working there. They need their jobs like everybody else, but the people that are in charge there, the DOC, the admin, 
uh, the managers, why do they not all get together and write a letter and say, we cannot tolerate the abuse of these seniors any longer? You know, collectively get together and do that. Even singularly get together and do that. Um, does the uh, Dr. Haraji have any power here in St. Catharines? Well, he seems to be putting us in lockdowns enough times, doesn't he? Right? So um, it goes to Doug Ford and I believe it goes all the way to Trudeau because they're the ones that are telling the health department to implement these rules that are so barbaric and abusive. But anybody I talk to, like I, I'm repeating myself, do you know they're not having a shower? No, we don't know. Nobody knows this. This is a big secret. You know, why doesn't mainstream media pick up on this and say these people are being treated terrible? Like, I know people care about this, but it's unbelievable that this has been going on for so long and nothing's being done about it. Jim, do you think five years ago, if something like this happened, it wouldn't be headline news and it'd be on the TV? I don't know. I don't trust the media anymore. Five years ago, it was a different. I know. It was a totally I, I don't either. Day. I don't trust anything they're saying. Hmm. But how do people find out? I mean, I'm so thankful to be on your show today. How do people find out what is going on out there? Well, I think they, wow, you had a great, I, I say reach out to independent news sources and the ones that are a little uh, yeah. bit harder to find, right? The CBC is not giving you any information on this stuff. Even our local media, we've seen incredibly biased. You know, I don't care what your take is on vaccines or masks or lockdowns or whatever, but if you go against the mainstream narrative, you're outcast you're made unemployable you're yep. uh create you know you're mocked and yep. called a conspiracy theorist yep. the people mm -hmm. that marched out of uh chrome artistic barbering there mm -hmm. thousands of people mm -hmm. and i'm being pretty literal here yep. marched they were aligned with white supremacy so oh that is we, disgusting. We, you know i would say i would tell people to answer your question we're getting off course here turn off the mainstream media and look for alternative sources whether it's absolutely you know i'm not pimping absolutely. rebel news and i'm not a huge ezra levant fan uh but man there's no one covering it with an independent view like ezra's group um you know i i've only been doing this i don't know 10 15 years i started in the radio business i don't i kind of had some fun with it um lately i've been referred to as alternative media independent wow. journalism like i'm not on the street you know videotaping things although i did march for my mm -hmm. first march what an awkward feeling for a guy like me i don't march i don't protest i think you know i'll leave that to the other people and I want to get into that with you too, as far as like, have you ever been active before in any other cause where you've felt that you needed to have a protest or a crowdfund or a march or anything like never, that? You... I've never been involved in anything like this. So you're not I an mean, activist by nature as well? No. I mean, if something popped up in my family and I had to make some phone calls to help them out, I'd do that. Mm -hmm. But I've never been in a role like this before. But I can't sit by silently and allow this to continue. Mm -hmm. And it seems anytime somebody tells the truth, nobody wants to hear it, right? Mm -hmm. it, well, especially if it goes against the narrative and you're, up, you're up against Absolutely. a bunch of things. And that's why I'm interested in your take of what you see being wrong here. 
public health at the region also has a public health at the region like you mentioned here G he's he's responsible here too he's responsible oh, to intervene absolutely. if he sees something that goes against and all they're doing is spending their time ticketing protesters and people that don't ask <laughs> are you kidding me we've got a serious issue here why don't you get off 610 CKTB and your mainstream media narrative and go look into something that's actually happening right here in our own home and as it turns out right across the province and country like we had a very identifiable vulnerable sector with yes. covid and we we host them we didn't take care of them that's right and we that's can right. you know i know there's going to be inquiries into what happened and but i just you know i'm i'm becoming hopeless you know i'm in my black pilled phase now where yeah. i've uh, where I lived on the left and everything was, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Mm -hmm. And then as I got older, I'm like, well, wait a second. You know, my views changed and I moderated and I came towards the middle, which I don't think is all that radical. Mm -hmm. Now I lean on the right a little bit more, especially on a late term abortion and guns and hate speech, mm -hmm. um, uh, absolutist and stuff like this. And now I think I'm in the black pill stage that what they call you now that you know the truth now you're hopeless as to a remedy yes you know yes. because i'm really right now i'm so moved by talking to people like you or shandor that's being put in jail for speaking at a at a at a celebration of freedom and liberty like it's you call it a protest i call it a celebration of freedom and i am i'm like or Pastor Pulowski being dragged on the highway. Yeah. And, arrested on the highway. You know, and uh, churches being locked up. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when I've called around, um, people are afraid of their jobs, so they don't want to speak up. Um, I looked for a lawyer, uh, hoping to get a cease and desist order in. And the one lawyer told me, frankly, he said, most lawyers are afraid to go against the government. You're going to have a very difficult time. I was reaching out. You have no idea how many hours I spend on the phone calling. I've called politicians. I've called everybody you can think of to get some help. And it is not easy. It is not easy. Mm. So moving forward, what do you feel like your role is going to be here? What's the plan? Um, how do you I'm not going to stop. I am going to keep doing what I'm doing. I will keep putting pressure on them. I will keep calling the politicians. I'm I'm hoping a lawyer will be calling me back. We've we've been playing phone tag. Um, I want those people held accountable for what they've done. This cannot continue. This will never end if something isn't done about it. And these people don't deserve that. 50 days, then 22 days. I mean, what is it the next time? They don't even deserve two days, one day in there like that. That's horrible. And as I said, you go into a long-term care home, it's not fun being in there in the first place. So why would you confine them to their rooms like that? Mm. So I am not leaving any stone unturned. Um, I, I've done an uh, interview with Bright Light News. Um, I, anywhere I'm reaching out to anybody to make more people aware of what's going on. And I find the more the media gets out, the more that people are talking about it, hopefully they will backtrack and treat them like like normal human beings and give them the basic necessities of life is all i'm asking for 
I'm going to read you some comments here. Uh, you've probably already seen them, but I think it, it starts a, a good discussion, and I don't think I'm outing anyone here because most people know that if you comment on a public post on Facebook, you're public. And this comes from my cousin, for lack of a better word. This is this is family, pretty much, not by blood, but through relation. Dina Bernick, one of the nicest people I know. And she doesn't touch my wall usually or she very rarely comments on anything other than to say i love you back type of thing because um well i i mean to the uneducated and the people that just read the headlines i'm i could be pretty toxic you know what i mean so uh in the post where i teased out you coming on uh, actually, why don't I just slide this over and you can read it with us. Uh, you can't read it, but I'll, you can hear me. So this is uh, Susan Park's sister is in a local long-term care facility and hasn't had a shower in three weeks. Tomorrow at noon, Susan puts uh, the comma in the wrong spot, Jimmy, speaks to me about this heartbreaking story that most are unaware of tomorrow at noon on the Jim Fannin Show. Liz Taylor says, disgusting. As Gordon comes in, she says, interesting. Some of them are probably watching now. Norma Smith's commenting. We'll get to you, Norma. Thank you. Dina Bernick. Hey, uh, What goes on in these places? That's what goes on in these places because they are understaffed and only allow 10 minutes per person. I'm a PSW. I work on a floor of 32 people by myself on nights. So unfair and disgust disgusting what our government is doing to our elderly people. Now... I am not putting words in this woman's mouth. Thank you, Dina, for stepping up. I really appreciate it because you're there. And I find it interesting, her last comment, so unfair and disgusting what our government is doing to our elderly people. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, but what, there's so much um, responsibility to go around here, whether it's the government or... Well, listen, these are businesses, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Yes, like, they are. They're I, for I, profit. I get that they're run Definitely. by the government, but ultimately the responsibility right on the ground has to be locally mm -hmm. with, with the region and the health department yeah. mm -hmm. and at the business the, themselves because, you know, the government's got a hands-off. They have regulations. They send funds, probably not near enough. And we need to look at this whole thing because this is not going away. The, you know, our our population is getting rapidly oh, it is. older. And we're reaching the fat part of the bell curve when we're all going to be old at the same time. Absolutely. And, uh, fast I, forward to us. Yeah, you know, I don't know what the solution is. Fast forward to us 30 is. years from now or something. I wonder what if we're in one of those homes or these people you know, end up in one of those homes and they get the same treatment, you know. Mm. Um, it, it, you can't think, people are going to look back in history in 2020 and 20, 2021, and this has always been a problem in long-term care home, but people are going to look back in history and not understand how we let these elderly people suffer like that. It's incredible. My sister also has developed high blood pressure from the last lockup for 50 days, uh, 70 days altogether confinement. And the doctor called me and said, well, because of the circumstances of what happened, I said, you mean the trauma? This was trauma. And then do you know what happened? After they're finally let out at 70 days, my sister and many of the other ones had an agoraphobia. They were afraid to leave the room. Mm. 
I said, did you leave the room? Well, I poke my nose out and she goes, most of the others aren't doing it either. So I had to call the administration again. And I said, you know what's happening? They've got agoraphobia. They're afraid to leave the room now. Could you please go over and encourage my sister and the others to come out of the room? So it took a few days. Can you imagine that happening to them also? Right? No, it's a, t it's a total uh, mind, well, a mind death for lack of a yes. better term. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jessica Wall gets in live here on the Facebook comment saying, I am a personal support worker. I will tell you truthfully, I have never had to report so many verbalizations of suicidal thoughts and depressive statements. Mm -hmm. So heartbreaking. And like I said, this kind of leads like I feel like I'm in the black pill stage now that I know the truth and I can't look away and no one wants to step up. Like I'm interested in your message of hope. If you have any light at the end of the tunnel, you see any hope. Birch is a good guy. He's a decent politician. Uh, he He's very hyper local minded. I, I love Jeff Birch. I mean, <laughs> again, <laughs> I was... I was friends, good friends with Jeff Birch in another life. I'm, I haven't had beers with him in a long time. I don't know <laughs> if he thinks he shouldn't be seen with me or not. Maybe, I don't know. Jeff has usually <laughs> been pretty good with me. And I don't always agree with Jeff. And I will mock Jeff when I feel he, I don't, I don't know that I ever have uh, because he's just not that type of, he's a good politician. There oh, yeah, are very absolutely. few of them. Jenny mm -hmm. Stevens, another woman mm -hmm. that means a lot absolutely. to me. You know, a, a good, strong, I don't care what you think. I say it the yeah. way I say it and that's it. I got a lot of times for Jen Jenny Stevens. So I, I'm interested, do you have any type of hope? Like, has there been any type of light at the end of the tunnel that you've seen or, or you think you're working towards, you know, creating one? I, I, I have to be honest and say some days I am really down because I think I am not only fighting, you know, the home, I'm fighting the health department, I'm fighting Doug Ford, I'm fighting Trudeau ultimately. And it gets discouraging sometimes, but when I meet people like yourself, that encourages me. I met Jim Torma from People's Party. Um, he set up an interview with Bright Light News. He was, they were very caring about it. Um, Jeff Birch's office, Mike Haynes, always, always responds to my emails all the time. We don't agree on everything, but what they do agree on is this abuse in long-term care homes. So um, I kind of go a day at a time and I want to do anything I can to prevent this from happening again. Anything I can do. Well, God bless you, woman. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your experience locally with the NRP and specifically the health professional and mental health professionals that I don't even know. Maybe they're not professionals. Maybe they're just counselors. Maybe they're just employees. I don't know who these people are, but talk to me about the whole experience of you know, getting her what she needed and responding oh, to you. That was and, extremely like, especially extremely at the Fairview difficult. Mall the last time when they call when you called the cops and they brought the health care. Yeah, they did do that that time because uh, the first time I had her formed, um, she attacked the cop and he showed me she scratched them all down the arm, right? So the time after that, when I formed her, well, instead of bringing one police car, they brought two or three police cars because she had attacked him. Right. And that time when she was in the emergency, the nurse asked her to undress and she tried to jump the nurse. So um, I had gone in there and they had police guarding the door and they said, don't go in and talk to her, she might hurt you. I said, oh no, 
But I mean, when she's in a state like that, she doesn't know what's going on, right? She just kept yelling at me to get her out of there. And she didn't understand anything. I don't even think she remembers anything. But I'm telling you, all those years, if my sister would have got help 20 years ago when we first tried and got her on medication, right. I believe she would be a lot better than she is now. She possibly would be able to live on her own. And I called the Schizophrenia Society, the mental health over the years, and they said the longer she stays in this psychosis, mm -hmm. the deeper it gets and the more years that go by. They said even now it's been 15, 20 years. They said she'll get better and she'll talk to you, but that'll be about it. And that's about where we are right now. And because they uh, wouldn't let me speak to the doctor, because uh, they wouldn't take the time to fill out a form 33, uh, because they wouldn't take the time to do any of this, they could see clearly how ill she was. They just let her out the door. I, I was talking to the police and they said they get seven calls a day for schizophrenics. Sometimes they're getting the same call for the same person because the hospital keeps letting them out. I mean, do you ever drive around St. Catharines and you see the same people on the corners? Clearly they are ill. They've probably been in the hospital and out. To them, it's a revolving door from what I saw. It's just a revolve. They're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. And you know what? If you took the time to do a Form 33, take the time to try and contact some family or guardian or something like that, these people could, leave, uh, could lead a, a better quality of life than what they are right now. So where's you that know, where's that breakdown then? Is that locally? Yeah, I I don't know. Are they afraid if, to fill out the form thirty well, three? Uh, well, are they afraid to take the time and put their name on the paper? Like, why do they not do that? These people who are schizophrenic and so psychotic, they cannot make their own decisions. My sister could not make a decision. I need that medication. If she did not get that, she was going to die. She did not understand that. No matter how you tried to talk to her right she is incapable of making her own decision so i even went to the board and cons uh, consent consent and capacity board and uh they were supposed to have a lawyer on there the psychiatrist and a bunch of us were going to have a meeting on the phone the doctor didn't show up the lawyer didn't show up i was on the phone with one person and that was the end of it because i wanted to be her guardian and if i was allowed to be her guardian then i could say you have to force the medication i'm not sure how that all worked but that didn't work out either. I, I, if there was anything, I, I tried calling the uh, MP's office and, and, and asking them to help me. I called Jim Bradley's office. This is many, maybe eight, 10 years ago. And I said, listen, my sister has schizophrenia. I've tried sending her to the hospital. Um, she's in danger. She's not able to take care of herself. And then, you know what the secretary Betty said, is that Andrea Barcher? And I said, yes, how do you know her? Because she's been calling us for 10 years demanding money and narcotics. And she doesn't know what she's doing and screaming at them. And my sister's not a drug addict, right? But she just didn't understand. And she called them and yelled at them for whatever reason. She used to send faxes off to the Supreme Courts. Uh, she tried to apply uh, that my daughter was a refugee so she could get some money for her. Like she just didn't know what she was doing. And then there was little so, notes on there and they none of them made any sense. She was so sick, the poor dear, eh? Mm. So um, she's had a very, very sad life, you know, and, and I think, oh, praise God, we finally have some help now and this happens. You know, I could hear it in her voice. I can see it in her eyes that she's sad, but she doesn't complain, you know, 
but I can see it's difficult for her. I'd love to go over there and put my arms around her and hug her. I can't go in and see her because you have to take those antigen things up your nose. And I've had eye surgery. I went blind. I don't want that up my nose. Anything invasive like that, I refuse that. If I don't do that, I can't go in and see her. Well, then you've got all the protective gear on. You got to stay six feet apart and you can't hug them anyway. Why can't I hug my sister? Why can't I see my sister? You know what they told me one time? Feel free to take her out. Where am I going to put her? Can you tell me one place I can put her that they will take care of her meals? They'll make sure she has her needle. And that's not easy, right? That she, if she thinks she's in a medical environment, she'll be cooperative if a nurse comes over, but if she's in somebody's house, she won't be, right? Okay, you tell me where we can put her, please. I'd like to know, because I've called everywhere. I called Bethesda, I called anywhere I could think of. And I've gone over all these things in my mind. There isn't any place for her to go except there. Oh man, I love you. That's all I got. Uh, <laughs> stay strong. Thank you. Um, I'm shooting prayers for you, man. It's um, well, thank you. I appreciate it's a crazy, that. Crazy, crazy time. And uh, God's in control. You know, God I, is in control. You're telling me stories you... about her, you know, her manic episodes. I can't help but laugh because, you know, it's it's not funny, you know. No. But I just no. think it's so sweet. Like she's, you know acting out in this way like a child almost you know what i mean she's she's not right but uh mm -hmm. uh how has that been going like how do you think you've got her meds right are you able to give her supplements like are you able to instruct the ltc listen i got some cbd oil she needs to take this thing every day uh good question um i'm a big fan of shackley vitamins and i wanted to bring them in for her and they said no uh we have to order the vitamins from the pharmacy because they want the money i gladly pay for them and bring them over there but they said no being that she's had cancer twice and her body must be so run down can you imagine having zero iron in your body right so i wanted to help out and they told me no where do you think that this leads? Does this put you on a board, an advisory committee, or creating a watchdog group, or leading a charge? Like, I mean, I know well, this isn't you necessarily. You want to hear something funny? Your... After the first confinement, like the 50 days and 70 days in her room, they put out an email and they said, "If family would like to join something called Family Council, and you'll have you know direct contact with the administrators and the people that work in the home, and if there's issues, we talk about it, we get together." Well, naturally, I signed up. I didn't hear anything. So a week later, I phoned back. I'm sorry, I haven't heard anything. So I don't know if it's either they don't want me on the board, <laughs> but they told me nobody signed up. So I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> because I would love to be on the family council over there and, and put my points across. I'd love to meet other uh, families of the residents in there. I went on a Zoom call and they block everybody out all i could do was type in questions and i was in the middle of another question they cut me off so i would love to get together with other people there but they're not going to give me phone numbers of the other residents like those families can be honestly thinking because they can't see them they can honestly be thinking they're having a shower and everything's fine, fine in there and it's mm -hmm. not eh? okay so then that leads me to the next question i guess what is your advice i know you're kind of new at this but you mm -hmm. are on the front lines now whether you like it or not yes and and glad to tell your story you don't look like a person that's like look at me you've never done anything like this in your life so what do you tell people out there 
that already have seen the signs i mean we can also speak to your your sister like the early signs of you know mental illness oh, mental health uh, yeah but more specifically just people that have you know family in long-term care facilities that are questioning whether they're getting proper treatment or exercise or fresh air or some think, sort of um, human interaction for the latter part we should all get together uh and formulate a plan of what we're going to do when this happens again uh collectively write a letter get mps involved um um write letters to the dr haraji to the medical department the health department um go live like rebecca Hahn did um you know i would love to get together with other families so uh the, you know they can feel free to contact me because uh the more numbers we have the better it is uh the more it gets out to other people the better it will be um i'm not going to give up as i said i'm still going to be looking at other avenues um and what was your first uh question again uh, oh yeah with the yeah. mental health what yeah can we just do the there? early signs there i mean and because i mean there's a lot of we talked about alternative media there's so much alternative medicine out there this cbd thing i can't believe mm -hmm. like i've been mm -hmm. i've been pimping hemp oil for lack of a better word for almost 25 years no one knew mm -hmm. what an essential fatty acid was exactly. when i started nature's hemp now we're all talking about efas and omegas and mm -hmm. these are the building blocks for life absolutely no one's talking about efas or fitness or fresh air or sunshine in vitamin COVID. D. Yeah, vitamin. they're all saying get the shot like it's there's no personal responsibility anywhere the government's going to take care of everything you know that right why would you get a shot for something that's 99.7 percent survival rate hmm. why would you do that and then they say you can still get COVID on top of it that that needle is an mrna disruptor it disrupts your dna and it attacks your immune system so that you have zero immune system do you know what i noticed from some people that have had the needle they get these dark circles under their eyes dark brown circles not all of them but most of them people i've seen and i asked my friend who's a nutritionist and she said that's because that's your immune system so it's quite frightening when i've seen them because i think my goodness what is the matter with you and that's it. I, I I can tell you some people I know that have had it. They've gone downhill pretty quick. So I'm I'm, I'm smirking because I'm like, oh, you know what? We had we just had a great interview there, and then you got to ruin everything by being a conspiracy theorist and you're anti-vax, anti-mask, probably anti. Anyway, don't answer that. Back to your sister. In the early days, when she started losing her grip on reality, mm -hmm. what could have been done for her and again i just threw cbds in there as a or efas as like um, these are all things i, we're I, all lacking, I would right? agree all with all of the above and alternative medicine but schizophrenia i i would i would do that i would implement i would definitely implement that along with the medication that they have for schizophrenia. how long how long did it take you to get her medicated from the time you knew there was a problem i'd say 15 20 years Wow, to get her medicated for the first time? What, and then if we drill down on that, where do you feel that responsibility lies? Is it I believe, it, I believe that responsibility lies with the doctors, with the psychiatrists in the hospital. Or local officials. I had some trained. friends. I looked into what the protocol was. I asked, how can they do that for somebody who's incapable of making their own decisions? And it's the Form 33 
And when I questioned them to do that, they would not. So they let my sister suffer for years and years and years. And my, our mother passed away and she was oblivious to it. And she was very close to my mom. You know, our father passed away and she didn't want to go to the funeral home. Um, she just, she has missed out so much in life that when she kind of, I'll use the word awake, when she got the needle and started coming back and I'm showing her my cell phone and she was totally amazed. What is that? I said, look what you can do. You can go on YouTube. She loved music. So I was playing music, you know, when she's starting to come around. Remember this song you and I used to love when we were kids and she'd be going like that. That's amazing. Wow. Like she lost all those years of technology, right? So even when I'm telling her something now, I, I'm on the phone with her the other day and I said, guess what? I can use my phone and go on my smart TV and go on YouTube and I can watch this and do what? Really? Like she totally missed all that it was like she was in hibernation all these years she missed everything so the my kids myself my husband were all teaching her trying to get her a little bit up to date but she's not able to manage a cell phone on her own but she has a landline and she has a tv mm-hmm. so uh, she's good with her cable tv well, like, okay let's stick with this for a little bit here what what do you think the breakdown was? Was there a fear? You, you keep going back to Form 33, right? Yes. And the reluctance. This is yes. 20, 15, 20 years is on the, yeah. like, I mean, come on. What is it? Like, what do you see? What are they afraid? Are they afraid of something? Is there, I don't know. Uh, are they afraid of being sued? Um, you know, the one doctor, the one doctor who helped her, I was so thankful for him. He said, I'm doing a form 33, but now we're racing against the clock because she has no iron in her body. He said, listen, I've gone to the head of the hospital. He said, I could lose my license and I'm trying to get the intravenous forced on her. I can force the medication, but you have to go through legal things, serve my sister papers, wait so many days. Like this whole process takes about a week before she finally gets the shot in the arm, right? Or wherever it is. And so in the meantime, she's dying. And he said, I did everything I could. I went to the board. He said, I was at risk of losing my license going out on a limb for your sister. He said, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. We just have to hope the medication kicks in and she'll agree to it. Let me interrupt. And that's what happened. Was there a problem with you assuming responsibility for her mental capacity? They wouldn't give it to you? Is that the issue? Like you should be able to be her legal mental guardian, no? I am, and I'm her power of attorney. Can you? Can you say yes? Give her those drugs. Then did it have to come I, okay. to you first? Uh, here's what happened. Like here's what happened, like Jim. The... Before I got power of attorney, I got um, this. All these years, I've been trying to help her. I went to a lawyer and I said, "Could we draw papers for power of attorney, and I could bring my sister in here to sign them?" He said, "I can't do that because she's not in her right mind. So, as a lawyer, I cannot fill those papers out and legally have her sign them." But then the hospital says, uh, we can't fill out those papers because she's capable of making a decision. She was not capable. I mean, somebody who can't pay their rent, doesn't understand how to pay a bill, doesn't understand how to cook a meal. And if you talk to them, they're living in hallucinations. Do you think they understand? Give me the needle so I can get better. So was there there an issue getting her committed for lack of a better word like i mean i, I, don't I know couldn't because they said she had the right to say no 
Uh, she had the right to refuse medication and they even kept her a couple extra days and they said she refuses a medication. Well, of course she does. Of course she refuses a medication. She does. She thinks she wrote Star Wars and her, her, her home is bleeding blood on the walls. I told them that. They know that. They, they're watching her talk to the walls and all that stuff. Oh, well, she's delusional. We'll let her out. Why can't you do the form and force it on her? Why? So it took for her to be homeless. She lost 30 pounds. She's dying until we got a good doctor that filled that form out. Otherwise, she'd be dead now. Oh. So when I, Jim, when I, when I drive around St. Catharines and I see these people and they're obviously mentally ill, my heart goes out to them because it is so difficult to get them help. My heart bleeds for them too. Wow. Well, thank you again. I don't know. I uh, hope somebody's being helped with this right now and their frustration. How do they get a hold of you if they want to connect? Um, I'm on uh, Facebook, Susan Park. You can private message me. Okay. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me. Um... Oh, there's Rebecca Hahn there. She's oh. uh, watching. Thank you, Jim Fannin. I have a new nickname with some of the girls. It's just Jim Fannin, the full first and last name. Thank you, Jim Fannin, for giving this wonderful woman a platform to get this out. Uh, this is she's a sweetie, absolutely Rebecca. heartbreaking and completely unjustified. Susan Park, I love you, and I'm proud of you for sharing your story and never and never giving up on your sister. Wow. Thank you, Rebecca. I love you too. Yeah, she's one of the beauties. She's a sure. terrific person in herself. Means a lot to me. I only know the woman a few weeks, and already she's an important woman in my life. Thank you. Oh, she is. She's done a lot too, and Fire. she's out. She's out there. All right, Kit. Well, what else? We, anything else you want to say? That's uh, that's an hour and two minutes gone by pretty quickly. It's one wow, I, feel, I, want, really? I, I want wow. to respect your time. I, I, I said I an hour. So. Uh, thank you enough, Jim. I can tell you're a caring person, <laughs> and I can't thank you enough for being so kind and caring, and, and bringing this issue to the forefront. I really, really do appreciate it. And there's several other people out there who've been helping me and supporting me, and I just want to say how grateful I am to everybody. And uh, I Amen. thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus, Preach, and sister. I know God's in control. <laughs> and I know it's one day at a time, but we'll just keep fighting the fight, and I will not stop. Awesome. Preston Haskell got in. Ashley, thank you. Rob, uh, Bob Gadet, uh, a few people in the comments section. Um, you're Obviously, I encourage you to go over and maybe interact with them. Um, I am not abiding by the lockdowns. So you're welcome to drop by. The sun's out, pool's open, and the coffee tastes good out there. So okay. if you need support, reach out. You got my digits. And I really, really am grateful to have you on. And uh, Thank you. Uh, next time, we'll have some happier news. And, yes, I hope so. And hope uh, so. good luck to you. We're all praying Thank for you. Thank you so much. Thank right, you for having me. Talk soon. All right, we're going to end this hardly. Just a hard and bye. There she's gone. <laughs> oh, wow, man. I mean, jeez. Uh, that was one of the tougher ones that I've done. Wow. Here she is on the fake book. Go get connected with her. Susan Park is her name. 
what is her story? Uh, you know, she had some pretty, well, it's just her experience, right? Signs of somebody losing their grip on reality. Uh, how frustrating and scary is that going to be? And then, you know, her experience with the NRP and the frontline workers and the mental health professionals and then taking 15 years to get formed properly. Man. It's a breakdown in the system. Her system, not many people know that the mental health system in Niagara specifically is some of the worst in Canada. I don't know why or what, but we have a huge issue, and not a lot of people know. I'm going to give you a short story of a friend of mine who's on uh, SSRIs. You know, your selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. I think that's what an SSRI is, right? It's an antidepressant. Well, uh, my friend who's not on social media and who's a solid, productive member of society, uh, every few years her SSRIs stop working or they don't do properly what she expects them to do. So they start wearing off, I guess, for lack of a better term. When her SSRIs wear off or are not as effective, she gets ultimately, and it's a descending, like it's a process till she gets to this point, but she ends up suicidal. I've been there. I've been her friend for decades since high school. And... Um, I don't understand mental illness. I just don't. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that we have a serious, serious problem in Canada with the LTCs and Ontario and specifically Niagara here. Anyways, my friend uh, ended up going to the hospital, hopeless. You know, all her family could do was beg, please, just go one last time. Because she's, she's going to kill herself. So she drives herself to St. Catharines General, the new hospital, and ultimately is told, you have a doctor, you have a prescription, You don't have a plan to kill yourself, right? So go home and figure it out. Weeks later, months later, I'm not sure exactly. Again, to a place of hopelessness. She shows up and says... I'm suicidal. Put me in the hospital. I want help. No. Do you have a date to kill yourself? No. Well, you have a doctor and you have medication, so go home and figure it out. This is right in Niagara, okay? 
the third time. She said, I don't plan on making it through the weekend. Admit it. She could have been successful at either other attempt at suicide that she was so hopeless. And all her family has is to tell her, just go, please go. Don't do it. Go. Because she's calling them and saying, I'm out again. Somebody took care of her, got her into, uh, you know, a new stream of meds. They seemed to work for a little while. And the healthcare professionals told her, you know what you're probably a good candidate for? ECT. ECT, for those that don't know, or C convulsive ele- yeah electric elect electric convulsive therapy they wire you and they shock you into convulsion uh, what do you call it seizure and then oh they intubate you they put you out and then they shock your brain So she says, I'm thinking about uh, shock therapy. You're welcome, Susan. Um, I'm like, dude, <laughs> you know, the fix it. The man in me wants to fix it. I'm like, have you tried CBD? <laughs> Get some hemp oil in you. Pray. Have you prayed? No. Do you believe in God? Not really. Do you believe in a higher power? Yeah. Well, maybe just meditate. Put it out in the universe. Fix me. Heal me. Give me a message. Give me a sign. Give me, lead me to an answer to my mental fragility. Keep me in hope. God, universe, whatever. She may have even tried it. I don't know. But she had the ECT. We talked to her the other day, and we're not the same people after Trump and after COVID and after masks and after these arrests and after the media's gone completely bonkers. We're not the same people. There's too many lines being divided. There's too much that divides us now. Like if you're a Trump supporter, you're a white supremacist. Come on. It's ridiculous. There's like 40 white supremacists in Canada probably. And they're easily identifiable, and they're you don't see them anywhere. <laughs> I'm rambling. So many people don't know the dire consequences that our healthcare system is in right now. Listen, we just put a a hundred million dollar bridge over the uh, twelve mile creek or whatever it's called, the Burgoyne Bridge, hmm? hundred mil, and our mental health is so bad. They had to add a million dollar anti-jump barrier to the damn thing because too many people were jumping off it and often themselves on the street below. You land in the water, you're good. (laughs) Maybe not from that height, I don't know, but yeah. Nobody wants to talk about it. And so thanks to my friend 
Susan Park for telling her story. Uh, I haven't told this story about my friend, but this is like firsthand knowledge. I know this woman. I've talked to her about it. I haven't. I've asked. I actually asked her to be on the show, and there's there's a possibility. Again, people change, man. She's got a good job, and she loathes people like me that won't put on a mask. I have not put on a mask in a year. I don't plan on it. Have you heard my lungs? <laughs> I don't need anything complicating my breathing patterns. Anyway, a lot of people don't know that especially the mental health uh, facilities or the system or the infrastructure that we have to take care of people in Niagara needs a lot of work. And I hate to be the guy to come out here and always be the wet blanket, but uh, like you have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And unfortunately, the mentally ill seem to come really low down the totem pole, the hierarchy of concern. You know, there's no political will to help the homeless or the mentally challenged. It doesn't seem like there is to me anyways, and that's why I'm embracing my black pilledness because I really think, you know, I used to live in the blue pill world when I was a lefty before the left was nuts when they're actually reasonable. And now they're crazy, and now I'm more moderate. <laughs> what you called red-pilled, coming from the left, going more to the moderate middle, right. I lean a little right, especially in the big issues. And black-pilling, so the red-pilling is moving from left to right, politically. It's like truth. You see the, na the mainstream narrative, even in my own town here, St. Catharines. Please, Grant LaFleche is king when it comes to me media. The narrative that he helps drive with 610 CKTB, if you disagree with that, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. And I think it's sad because I used to be friends with these guys. I mean, I wasn't hanging out with Grant, but I did some hanging around with Tom McConnell. <laughs> Business ventures, parties, what? Wings and beers. And now he won't even take my call on his show. Block me from Facebook. Come on, man. I hate using the come on, man, now because it's so Joe Biden. But seriously, what are we, five? Serious issues out here. And you fucking plugs in the media, yourself, Tom included, if you're going to be that way. I'm just calling you out because a guy like me can't come on your show and go, you know what? I don't believe in the mask. Defy. Do not comply. Take your mask off. Go shopping. You won't end up in jail. Trust me. It feels great to be able to breathe and have your liberty. <sighs> Norma, thank you, my new friend. Very supportive normally and good insight too. I like your comments. Keep it up. Norma Smith. Hmm. Good point. The city had two hospitals and have uh, transitioned to one. It's not about health. Miser, what up? Miser's back on uh, DLive. What up, bro? Or dude? Or what? I don't know. Maybe you're a girl. Uh, either way, what up, bro? <laughs> uh, Miser, let's see. I'm trying to have a problem. Here we go. Medical power of attorney is what's needed, at least in my state. Just a heads up. Oh, okay. You're in the States. 
Now we're in Canada, Miser, Ontario, Canada. Susan Park, thank you so much, Jim, for having me on to raise awareness for the vulnerable senior abuse. You are welcome. It was my pleasure. It was a tough interview. We'll do a lot of ones like that. Like, I mean, you can hear the woman's voice, the emotion in her voice, you know. Ashley Lynn, thanks for chiming in. Yeah, malnourished in the LTC. She says everything is instant. Boiled eggs in a bag, instant sweet potatoes, instant mashed potatoes. Every time they get a snack, they get cookies every day for my whole career working in the region. If you want your family to have fresh fruit, you better advocate for them. Majority of them are on stool softeners due to, oh, man. Heartbreaking, man. Queen Han, thank you for getting in. I love you. Wow. What a good woman. Preston Haskell even getting in. He's still writing a blog spot. Let's see what this boy's doing. Crooks, creeps, and lying haters exposed. Wow. Well, I you know, I could I need to have Preston on the show. I've been working this guy over. Preston, if you're still with me, you're on the clock. We need to have beers. And you need to do my show. We can do it by Zoom. It's more comfortable. I don't even want you here. (laughs) Unless we're just having a sociable. But I don't like doing the show here. It's just, it's it's not, it's better on Zoom. It's just, it's better. So Preston, if you're there, first, you and me and alcohol. That's, if you're still drinking, you've got to be close to, what are you, like 90 years old now? (laughs) Mr. Haskell, I should call him. Uh, And do my show. If you're still listening, I'm calling you later. I hope Nancy's good. Still at it, eh, Preston? <laughs> Go check out his blog spot. It's in the comments section. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook, it's right there. I, actually, it'll be everywhere because I have my new uh, restream bot that will propagate your messages if you put them in one place. It's just uh, when I, resp- I can't send a message out to Facebook, whatever reason it's read only can somebody help me with that all right that's preston's uh website you can go check that here's susan park you can add her on fake book what else have i got not much for you god <laughs> give us hope amen we love you i am out